Good morning, you guys. How y'all doing? Good. Wish y'all got as excited as I do. How y'all doing this morning? Yeah, I think it got worse. I'm not going to try that again, right? We're, we're heading in the wrong direction. So this morning, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I want you to go ahead and you can flip to Matthew chapter 8. So we're going to be meeting in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 8. Uh, and we're going to really finish up our, our four-week study where we looked at the idea and we looked at the theme and we looked at the, the, the revelation of miracles, right? And we looked at it in a, in a threefold nature, which is how it appears in Scripture. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Now I'm going to go ahead and make a break for my water before I forget it because I, I think I'm going to need that today. Somebody just panicked, but I heard a, a deep breath. Are you going to get long-winded? Maybe. Right? Uh, so Matthew chapter 8. Uh, and we're going to pick up, if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 8. I'm actually going to read for us. Uh, we're going to read to get, uh, the, 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 the end of the Sermon on the Mount heading into Matthew chapter 8. So once you have Matthew chapter 8, if you will, stand for me as we read the Word of God together. So Matthew chapter 7. Uh, verse 28, and it picks up and it says, When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at His teaching because He was teaching like one who had authority and not like their scribes. And when He came down from the mountain, large crowds followed Him right away. A man with a serious skin disease came up and knelt before Him saying, Lord, if You are willing... You can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing to be made clean. And immediately his disease was healed. And then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses prescribed as a testimony to them. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful to be in your house this morning, to meet with our family here in your, in your presence, God, to just come to the table together, God, that we would truly, we would, divide, we would just dine on your word today, God, that we would allow your word to enrich in and, and, and to just fill our hearts, God. And again, we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would come into us and convict us of, of those areas of our lives needing conviction, God, and that He would encourage us in, in areas, Lord, that we, we can lift Your name on high, God. And I just pray that this morning we be solely committed to You as we study Your Word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we got a couple things going on right here before we can dive into our uh, passage of Scripture, but I had to really give you uh, the insights or the in and outs of where uh, we are in the context of the Scripture as a whole, because if there's one thing we've been firm on, it's that Scripture is made as a whole. It is a library and a collection of individual books that make up one greater volume, correct? And we are to study the book in its entirety. We are to study the library in its entirety. Uh, so what we have going on is the end of Jesus, and I always refer to just to kind of help you get a visual. The Sermon on the Mount, remember, is this is the, the greatest hits of Jesus. And right, not like the one that they, they make for consumerism and have 38 greatest hits. That one collective that we can all agree, those are the ones, right? And so these are Jesus' greatest teachings. Uh, we look at it and go, man... 
Did all that happen at once? Yes, but likely over the course of a couple days, okay? So no, they didn't just sit and just get uh, preached uh, for 18, 19 hours straight, right? It happened in sessions. And they would eat together. They would dine together. They would pray together, just like what me and you see today and call the service order of, of church, right? Uh, that what we see may have even, some, some scholars say, over the course of a week, right? So one cycle of completion. And so one of the things we, we really have to notice is this verse 29 of chapter 7, where it says, because... He was teaching them like one who had authority. Y'all see that word authority? What, is, what does that mean? It means that, that he had the permission. He had the knowledge. He was what he embodied what he was teaching. His authority was the fact that he would come and do what it was that he said he was here to do. And so the, there's a, a, an immediate... Contrast, we see that he spoke with one like with authority and not like their scribes. In other words, while he taught the law, he taught the heart behind the law. He didn't teach the legalism or the number of the law. He taught the loving compassion of a God who would rescue his people when they observe his law. Not law in order to separate us from Him, but a law that would bring us closer to Him in our pursuit of Himself. And so where, where verse 1 of chapter 8 picks up, there's again some contrast that we need to recognize as we head into our passage of Scripture. So He comes down a long mountain range, right? And there are large crowds following Him. In other words, those that stuck out the Sermon on the Mount, that... that extended teaching, they didn't just leave him and go, well, that was good, let's go home, right? Again, we see that he has authority. We see that he, he walks it like he talks it. He speaks softly and carries the big stick. When he teaches it, they go, man, that's a life that I can commit to. That's a rabbi that I can follow. The yoke that he speaks of really is life. He really does intend to carry my burdens. And they begin to follow him. In all aspects of their life, they want to commit to Him. And so what we have is Jesus beginning to draw a crowd. Now, I've got to give you some insight really quick. If you are not the, uh, uh, the approved temple rabbi, right? If you're not the approved Jewish rabbi, and you've began to pick up a following of people who are following you and your teaching... You would be a bit countercultural, uh, even to the point of possibly criminal, right? And they begin to try and trap you or find you misteaching. And so all through Jesus' ministry, as you'll follow in the book of Matthew, they continue to try and catch him in a false teaching. And they want to see him do a sign, but not that they would follow the sign and go, man, I believe in him. They want to see him doing a sign so that they can hold the sign against him. That they can try and find a sign or a miracle that he would perform and say, this separates him from God. And yet everything that Jesus does draws us and himself. We are closer to God because of him. And so the crowds begin to follow. And right away, if you'll remember in our week one of the teaching, Moses drops the staff, it becomes a stick. You guys remember that, right? And the, the stick and it becomes a snake, sorry. And so then God says, Yahweh says to, to, to Moses, 
If they don't, if they don't believe that one, that one's pretty good. If they don't believe that one, remember, you'll put the hand under the bosom, and when you bring it out, it'll be diseased. It will be leprous. And when you put it back in and pull it back out, only God can do the sign that they have seen. And now follow. This is week, week four of our, of our miracles teaching. And notice where this begins. That someone with leprosy would come to the greater Moses. Moses says that a prophet or one will come who teaches what I teach, but is far greater than I could ever be. And this is Jesus literally embodying the sign of Moses that Moses said would be to come of one who comes that is greater than he. And so the man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And he, again, we're going we're to find some contrast here. And he says, Lord, if you are willing. So Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Follow, keep that in your mind. That, that Jesus, if you're willing, you can do it. And so reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, and he made him clean. And immediately his disease was healed. So literally what we saw in the beginning of our, our study of miracles where Moses touches the bosom, pulls it out, leprosy. Goes back to God, brings it out, healed in a way that only God can heal, Right? And so here we have someone who has suffered with this, possibly for, for an extended period of time. And what you have to understand about this skin disease, he would be ceremonially unclean. So remember, uh, as we studied last week, where there was a portion of the temple that even Gentiles could go into. Well, this man, because of his uncleanness, couldn't even go to that place in which the Gentiles could go into because he would defile the temple. He would defile the sanctuary. And here this man comes to, to Jesus and notice something really, really, right here in verse 3. Reaching out his hand, he touched him. Jesus takes on the, the ritual uncleanliness of this man. He takes it and removes from him. He carries the burden that is carried by the law and removes it from this man. And in this moment, he takes a man who has never experienced the goodness and the fullness of God because of his uncleanness. And here he gives him not just the ability to go into the temple, not just the ability to, to, to worship God, but the, the ability to experience God. And as we've studied these miracles, we see that they're not just, just signs, some magic trick. They're abilities to literally experience God. And we've been looking really and focusing on initially the, the first couple weeks on this dunamis. So this is a power, right? This is the power of miracles. And we, we last week we, we began to, to, to look at the Greek word, which is samian. Then this is uh, this is a sign, right? That a sign would happen that points us to something else. And I've kind of built this so I can show you that this word samian comes with the word terrace. And this word terrace is literally a sense of awestruck wonder. So where God would perform things that only God is capable of, what would immediately follow is a sense of wonder. A sense of awestruck wonder that they would see a power that only God could exude. And so here, 
This man touches in his uncleanness the true temple. Remember Jesus said, you would knock this temple over, you'd destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And now here we have this man who is ritually unclean, who touches, so in other words, he defiles or destroys the temple. And look at how immediately that man is healed, but Jesus and His purity doesn't lose His cleanliness, right? And so He says, I am willing to be made clean. And immediately the disease is healed. Sickness cannot stand up to the touch of Jesus. And I, I know, you may know someone who has suffered here on earth with, with a sickness. You may know someone here on earth who's been afflicted by a disease. And they're not always healed in the way that we want. I'll be honest with you, more often than not, they're not healed in the way that we want. Because what we have to remember and what we have to keep in mind is that we are made in God's image and not the other way around. And so while we want things here on this earth, we have to remember that everything is on God's timing. And that only God knows what ultimately will happen here on this earth. And all things, as we said this morning, are to point us in worship and devotion to God. And sometimes it's hard. Right? Sometimes the, the sickness is, is dirty. Sometimes the chains of, of, of oppression, the chains of addictions, they weigh heavy on people. And we can shed them but ultimately, if we do not put the authority in Jesus' hands, they're not shed forever. We've just kind of untangled ourselves for a moment. And so we're, we're really studying miracles for the point that we would surrender all. Right? That our faith would be genuine. That our faith would be tested. And thus, we would turn it all over to the Lord. And then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone. So Jesus says, don't cause a big uproar. People know who you are. They know what you've been afflicted with. Don't do this for spectacle. Don't let this be done for spectacle. Go first to the priest and offer the gift or the atonement or the sacrifice that Moses prescribed. So remember where we studied and you would need a pigeon or you would need a dove or you would need these different things for your afflictions or for your sins, and you would take them there uh, to the temple. So Jesus tells this man, go and pay your price that is owed to, to the law, right? And let it be done as a testimony to them. So that picks us up here in, in verse 5, and we look at the faith of a centurion. And whether you realize it or not, if you weren't born, Jewish born, in other words, if your lineage is not that of Jewish nature, the, the gospel originally didn't apply to you. Right? That, that Jesus came to unite the Gentiles, which you and I are Gentiles, came to unite us to God the Father. And, and the, the law actually says that, that it would be to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile, right? So Jesus comes for exactly that. 
to bridge not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and all of us who are unclean, all of us who sin, all of us who fall short of God's glorious standard. He comes to unite all of us to God the Father. And when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. And what you need to know about this guy. So this would have been a non-commissioned officer. Uh, And so in other words, what does this mean? It means that he is a man of power and authority, but kind of limited power and authority, right? He would have worked for this position. Typically, this makes him uh, maybe to the nature of what we, we would call a senior centurion, right? So he actually has a hundred legionnaires who he is in charge of. And so this centurion, obviously, is someone who is Roman, or what would be called a Gentile. In other words... This centurion is just like you and me. He's not Jewish born. He has no Jewish lineage. He is someone who was far from God that God has brought into adoptive sonship through Jesus Christ. And he says, Lord, my servant, and the word here is payas, And so this implies a a certain level of of intimacy that he has to this servant. This would have not just been someone who served in his house. This would have been someone who served closely and was a part of his immediate household. In other words, they may have, have owed a debt to him, but he still treated this person like family. And so this shows us the nature of the heart of of the centurion. You you see, centurions don't have the high esteem of, of a commissioned officer. So often what they lead with is brutality. They're bloodthirsty, right? And so for him to to care enough to come to Jesus shows a certain level of compassion that this man has, but it also shows a countercultural effect that was going on uh, all in this time. As Jesus was going, performing miracles, signs, and wonders... And even the Gentiles, even the Romans were starting to find out about the power, the authority, the teaching of Jesus. And and they were beginning to come to Him in secrecy. And it extended beyond just the Romans. We see that some of the Jewish leaders, uh, go back to John chapter 3, we find out people like Nicodemus, uh, a man named named Joseph Joseph of Arimathea who would give his, his tomb as a rental Right? Because Jesus didn't need it forever. He would give his tomb for Jesus to be buried for those three days. So you have Jews who aren't supposed to be following Jesus because he's countercultural. You have Romans who would literally be facing death and persecution for coming to this Jewish rabbi, and they're all coming to Jesus. And some of them. Do it in the secrecy of night, like what we see with Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. And then some of them are brave enough to defile the law, the the ideology, the culture of the day, and they come to Jesus in the dead heat of the day for God and everybody to see. And so the same is true with us in our faith. Some come to to God kind of in the night. Some come to Him in in their darkest place, And they don't want other people to know about it. And they carry this sin and the shame. But they still come to Him, right? And then some of us who have been oppressed by these things, we 
have known what it feels like to be broken down. We know what it feels like for sin and shame to weigh heavy on us. And we come to God in front of everybody. And we lay ourselves down, just as He called us to lay down our cross daily. We bring our sin, we bring our shame, we bring it all to Him and lay it down at the foot of the cross. And so this centurion does just that. He brings all the sin and the shame. He brings everything that he has to this Jewish leader, this Jewish rabbi, this countercultural rabbi, and says to him, Lord, if you would just, just, just say the word. Lord, if you would just, if you just think it, I know it can be done. And so we've set the stage, we've set the scene for what's about to happen. In verse 7, notice that Jesus is the first one to come forward here. And He says, I will come and heal Him. There's a couple translations, uh, the, the, the NIV, the CSB, that phrase it in a way that, eh, uh, where it, it's implied as a question. Would you have me to heal Him? And, and the, in my opinion... The Greek doesn't imply that at all. It implies Jesus in a moment of just love and compassion to say, I will come and heal him. And verse 8 picks up and he says, Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And so what you got to understand is not only did this centurion, this Roman soldier, not only did he know who Jesus was, he had begun to, to know the, the Jewish culture and the Jewish traditions and the Jewish customs. You see, there is... Anybody ever... Let me, okay, let me bring it to you this way. When you were a kid, we were all kids one time, did your parents ever tell you if you turn on that light in this car while we're driving down the road at night, right? They're going to take me to jail. And can I tell you something? I hope there's no little kids in here. It's not true. It's not against the law, right? Maybe frowned upon. It can be distracting, but it's not against the law, okay? Sorry, parents, right? Mine's not in here, so I can say this right now. Uh, but there are certain things that are just said to the point that people believe them. Right, And so way back in Judges, we see that the Jewish traditions kind of get spread all through the land. And so people begin to, to, Jews begin to intermingle with Gentiles. And you have half Jew, half Gentile, and these different cultural things. And so as a way to, to let everybody else know, right? To let everybody else know, we don't like that person. They, they, they form these customs. And they pass these customs off as law. You see, the law didn't actually say the Gentile couldn't come into the home of the Jew. But the Jews began to spread this and separate and cause division. Who knows that some, let's put it out there, some religious people like to cause division. You ever met one of those or two of those or 30 of those? Right? It happens. But it's said to the point that it becomes not necessarily a law, but it becomes a custom. Right, that you wouldn't bring in the Gentile, or you wouldn't bring in a half Jew, half Gentile into your home, and so 
this centurion is familiar enough with customs to understand Jesus can't come into my house and I can't come into Jesus' house. Why? Because people will make a stink of it and people will call us both ceremonially unclean and then we'll have to hang out outside the, 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 the temple for, for a day, right? Before we can come back in uh, tomorrow. And so the, the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. Where's your faith, guys? Only say the word and my servant will be cured. We, uh, we live in a culture of, I got to see it first and then I'll believe it. That's not belief. That's not faith. This centurion understood what each and every single one of us are called to come to terms with. That to truly believe, to have true faith, is belief before sight. And the beauty is you might not ever see it. You may not ever see the tangible evidence. And let me just bring into back these words for you. The semion and teros. These are two words that are used in conjunction. In other words, where one appears, which is typically semion, the teros follows. In other words, the sign happens... Or the, the miracle happens, and then the wonder follows. How many of y'all ever seen lightning in the sky? Some of y'all have never seen lightning. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Go to YouTube. Bam, just change your life. Right? How many of y'all have ever heard thunder? Well, if you didn't raise your hand for the first one, you better not be raising your hand for the second one. Right? And I, I had to go and, and Google this, guys. And then I had to kind of jump down a rabbit trail. Anybody ever got on an internet rabbit trail? Yeah, there are my people right here. Because I wondered, is there thunder every single time there's lightning? Because I've seen lightning before and not heard thunder. And you know what I found out through the National uh, Traffic and Weather and Safety Commission? Yes. Every single time that there is lightning, somewhere there's thunder. The thing is, you don't always hear the thunder because it's all about proximity. Why? Because, well, here we go. Here's where my rabbit trail began. Light travels faster than sound. Y'all know that? Now you know that. You're welcome. And so you would see this light, but you don't always hear the sound. And some people are, are that same way. They see miracles happen, but they're not hit with the awestruck wonder, the teros, to believe because it wasn't close enough in proximity to them. Oh, that person is just faking. Well, that person just, they'll, they'll find any excuse to not believe God and all His power, all His wonder, and all His majesty. Could you imagine having such a weak faith? Maybe you can. I hope that these four weeks that we've studied this has started to take you away from that sort of faith. Heard some ooms. Lord, if you would just say the word, my servant will be cured. Thunder and lightning. I'm not a Clemson fan, but years ago, sorry South Carolina fans, I'm about to say a dirty word. There was a group of running backs for, for Clemson, and they were called Thunder and Lightning. Y'all remember that? Carolina fans, those were not good years for you, so I think you probably would remember that. 
right? There was C.J. Spiller and James Davis, I believe, was the other one. It was thunder and lightning, right? One was quick and shifty, and the other had some, he had some oomph to his run. And how often is that in our lives, right? That we, we only believe in thunder or we only believe in lightning. And it's not until both, unfortunately for some, have a very real tangible effect before they believe. And can I let you know something? Whether you believe or not in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will come a moment where you take your last pneuma, that's breath, a spirited breath, where you take your last breath, and in that moment, guess what? You will very much so believe in Sameon and Teros, the thunder and the lightning. The only problem is, if you make it to that moment before you believe, it is too late. And Jesus is going to speak of that here in a moment. What we see is a centurion's faith. That is a bit of an oxymoron, by the way. Right? It's two things that shouldn't go together, but somehow go together. So this centurion has a faith. This Roman soldier has a faith in Jesus Christ, not just as a healer. He comes to Him because He understands the power and the authority that Jesus has. How do you know this? Well, wait just a second, and I'd love to show you. For I too am a man under authority. Did you just hear this? I too. I also. In other words, Jesus, I know who you are because I'm a man who also is under the authority. You see, the centurions have the ability to act under the direct authority of Caesar. So this man says, I'm a man who is under authority, just like you were a man who is under authority. He says, I know you come under the authority of God. God the Father. This Roman soldier just said that. I know you're from God. And I too am a man under authority. Having soldiers under my command, I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, or my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, he's saying, you've got a different level of authority. See, I have control of these people on this earth, but I understand that you come under a certain level of authority that I ain't got no kind of grasp to. You do great things because you are who you say you are. You came here under a rescue mission from God the Father to redeem and save His children. That would have been so countercultural. You see, what Jesus is about to do is introduce a world where Jews and Gentiles are one. They're united. There's not division between the two. While they're different, they're adopted into sonship, which is a Pauline uh, idea, but Jesus exemplified it so that Paul could talk about it. Adoptive sonship through Jesus Christ. Verse 10. 
What you're about to see here is life-changing, shattering. Now we've experienced the centurion's faith. Now you ready for the thunder and lightning? You just saw the lightning. You just, you just witnessed, whether you, you, you know it or not, you just witnessed the lightning. Bright flash in the sky. And you're about to experience the thunder. And this thunder that you see will cause ripples. If you will listen, if you will believe in your heart, this thunder will cause ripples in your entire life. Faith is met with, with an awestruck sense of wonder by Jesus. He, in that moment, said, Oh, I'm so full that you would call on me. And the same thing still happens today when those who are far from Jesus come to his name and lay down their burdens at the foot of the cross. He's full of awestruck wonder. I've got goose pimples, as they say. The, The thought of it just makes the hair on my arms stand up. Look at verse 10. I'm almost done with you, I promise. Y'all been getting used to these 32-minute sermons, right? And hearing this, Jesus was amazed. Y'all see that? Hearing this, Jesus marveled. If you don't grab that, If you don't see that level of love and that level of commitment and that level of trust and bond, that we're bond servants of Christ Jesus. If you don't see that He still loves and is amazed and is awestruck when you come to Him, then you may not know Him as your Lord and Savior. If this verse don't give you the goose pimples, you might need to examine your faith. That got touchy. And that's okay. Sometimes we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Follow this. He says, I assure you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. He says, even those who are supposed to to serve God don't have the level of faith that I just saw you come to me with. And he doesn't say this necessarily just for the for the, the centurion. Remember back in verse one, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. What he just said right here, I tell you, I have not found this kind of faith in any in Israel. Israel is literally standing behind him for this teaching. And he says, you guys, you've got to step your faith up. Did you just see what he did? Did you see the level of commitment, the level of surrender that this Roman soldier had for me? And in this moment, the thunder ripples continued. They started with Jesus and they spread out among the crowd. I'll be honest with you, though it's not directly implied, right there is probably the moment that the servant is healed. Right there. (laughs) 
I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Again, he looks at the crowd and says, Hey, what y'all say y'all are about? The heaven that you think you're going to experience, this guy's going to be, he's, I know he's going to be there. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. The ones who do the lip service but don't have the heart conversion will be there in the outer darkness. That's hell in case you were wondering. Top ten list of places you don't want to be, hell, number one through ten. And then we see the Jewish idiom here. In other words, he just further points them to, to what they need to see. See, this immediately when you hear this weeping and gnashing of teeth, the Jews go, oh, that's hell. That's Hades. That's Sheol. I know that place. I don't want to be there. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Did you guys know, maybe you do, maybe this is you, and I hope it's not, there are people that unfortunately think, my family has just always gone to church. My mom and dad, they're devout Christians. They pray like once a week. Right? Because we're, we're getting worse at this, guys. They, I've, I've seen them read their Bible twice. Two times. They're definitely going to heaven. And because they're going to heaven, the grace has extended to me. There are people that believe that, y'all. Yeah, that's not how adoptive sonship works. You have to make the commitment. You have to make the relationship. You have to surrender your life to Christ Jesus. It don't work like osmosis. And then Jesus told the centurion, Go. Here's how you know that what He just did is not just about healing. It's about salvation. Go as you have believed. As you have believed, let it be done for you. You believed and therefore faith will be seen. The thunder and the lightning. And in this moment, life is changed. Not just for the servant, but for this Roman soldier. See, there's this... Let me navigate this lightly. There's this other theology that the Gentiles don't receive salvation until we see Jesus actually go to the cross. And that's when they can be adopted into sonship. I have to tell you that's wrong. How do I know? As you have believed, as you have had the faith in me as Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, very important, don't let it be one or the other. It's a both, Lord and Savior. You know, there's a lot of people who were hanging out in hell who thought he was Lord. Lord. Because they didn't know Him as Savior. 
The demons recognized his authority. In other words, they recognized his lordship, but they didn't know him as Savior. Do you know him as your Lord and your Savior? Don't leave here today if it's not a both. And his servant was cured. Some translations say at that very moment. Some say at that hour. And another place where that that at that hour occurred was back in uh, John chapter 2. And Jesus' mom comes to him and says, Hey Jesus, me and you know who you are. That wine is over. Our family is about to be shamed. And Jesus says to her, Woman, it's not my hour. It's not my moment. And then here it goes. It happens again. This is to mark another discourse. He says, at that moment. In other words, this is the beginning in the Matthew uh, set of miracles. This is the beginning of a miracle season. This starts miracle season. He just came off his greatest set of teachings and now he immediately goes into miracles, signs, and wonders. We've got about six or seven more weeks left, I think, as we study the book of Acts again next week. And they're going to be loaded with miracles, signs, and wonders. You've already seen the acts of God to the early church through miracles, signs, and wonders. He's still powerful today. He's still doing miracles today. He's still saving lives today. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful today, Lord, to be gathered, Lord, just to celebrate Jesus' name. To come into this place, God, and show our reverence, to show our submission, to bow down at the foot of the cross, God. And I just pray that today in this place, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know You as Lord and Savior, that they not leave this place before they make that proclamation, before they make that heart alteration, God. That if they're here right now, the moment has began, God, that the revelation has began in their lives, God. And we just pray, Lord, that you will just work through your people here, God, that you will just continue to lift us up, encourage us, and empower us to carry your message, your gospel message, into all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.